What's the word, everybody? It's your boy, Trader Grayhead, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunger for More podcast, and I have a special guest here with me today, and I, Sanyal. How you doing, bro? What's up? What's up? How are you? How you been holding up during this pandemic, man? Man, that's a loaded question. You know, it's been, uh, I'm grateful for being healthy, my family's healthy, you know, my friends are healthy. From a business side, it's been a whole different, you know, it's just been upside down. Um, as somebody that has a lot of exposure to real estate, the restaurant world, mm-hmm. the music business, um, I think those are the three areas where you definitely don't want to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. So every day, I feel like it's just war, you know, war. figuring it out, getting your troops ready. I think the biggest thing is like we don't know what's going to come. Every day is different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've so, been standing on my toes. What I want to start off with is... When did you first get the entrepreneur bug? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know this This is like something I know very well because for me, you know, I grew up with a lot of financial insecurity in my house. See my dad, you know, lose his job a lot and, and always that feeling of like, we don't know where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. So I was probably 12 when I was like, I'm never working for somebody. <laughs> Even if that didn't make any sense to me, I was just like, I'm not doing it. Oh, yeah. um, and that's when I found... Uh, found volume two by Jay, you know, like just fell into hip hop music. And I looked at Jay as like the first how, person like, to call it. How many times you listen to that album? Cause that's one of my favorites. Like what's one of well, your, like, have, what's your favorite songs on that project? Volume two I have on, on a CD. Like I got a physical <laughs> copy of that. <laughs> so how many times? I don't know. Countless. Favorite song, man, probably, um, coming of age part Come, two is oh, yeah, crazy. Yeah. I still like part one better, but part two yeah, is cool. Part one's better, but part two, like the energy on part two, I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm, yeah, Bleak was going crazy going on crazy. that one. Um, yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough album to pick a favorite, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the entrepreneur bug though, like when yeah. did you finally like, yo, this is the lane I want to get, want to go through? Yeah, I was selling lemonade. I was selling, you know, I was always oh. a kid who was doing random things, trying to flip sneakers like early. I'm talking about before like anybody was on the sneakers. I always thing. wish I started real, real early. Yeah. I was a ball player coming up, so. It's not that I didn't have the entrepreneur bug. Like, I always knew I wanted to be in business, but basketball was my main focus, you know? So until, like, I finally decided, like, this is not my lane anymore, then I had to figure out this entrepreneur thing at 21. I mean, basketball is a hustle in its own way, too, right? It's a business in its own way. For me, it was probably at 16. um, I launched, like, my own independent record label Mm -hmm. when I was still in high school. That was the first time that we were doing things like, you know, saving money to invest into equipment or into production, you know, printing up shirts, mm-hmm. flipping them in person out the trunk of, you know, at my 16, boy's car. Yeah. At 16 starting the label, like, what would you, what was, what did your parents say about that? They weren't happy about it. You know, of my course. parents um, coming from India, they have a very like unique way of seeing the world because of how they grew up, you know, and when you, when you're born in this country, you don't even know what they've been through. Mm-hmm. just the way it is like you're like nah like you know let me let me do this and let me do that let me eat mac and cheese and you know do <laughs> xyz and they're uh-huh. like nah that's not that's not what we know to be right mm-hmm. so um you know my parents were definitely confused and definitely like you need to go to school mm-hmm. you know and i give my parents credit because they never got in the way of anything i was doing mm, that's um, i've been i've been I've been a crazy kid in the sense where, like, I was skateboarding, you mm. know, when I was, like, 10 years old. So mm. you imagine parents coming from India, mm. seeing their son is, like, out doing... Like, I was just that kid. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to be respectful in the house. I'm going to honor our family values. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to fall into the mold of what you expect from me just because right. that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So by the time in high school, I was pushing, you know, I was pushing an envelope. I'd be getting home at two in the morning from the studio, still waking up and going to class and, mm-hmm. and doing my thing. But they didn't get it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it took my parents a cool 10 years to really understand. When the money start coming yeah, in. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's all immigrant parents. Yeah, my parents come from Jamaica, so. You already know. Until I start making the money that they believe that I should be making, right. then they're going to be real. on my back. I mean, at this point, you know, they just let me be now because they know it's not, nothing is going to stop me from doing what I want to do at this point, you know? But, yeah, I know once the money comes in, that's when they'll be calm, you know? But um, speaking of, like, your parents, like, what age did you come to America? I was born here. Oh, you yeah, was born yeah. here. Okay. Yeah, like, my, my where parents. where was you born? In Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. So, so how you end up in New York? I came to New York for school. Oh. So I came to New York. I went to NYU, which was like the only way I could get out of Massachusetts. I always knew I wanted to be in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, being a hip hop kid, like, you know that you got to be in New York, mm-hmm. you know. And for me, um, that was my ticket to get to, to the city. Mm, okay, okay. So in high school, running a label, like, was it like with your friends? Yeah, it like, was like with my really close homies, and we. I mean, we worked together for 10 years. Like, how far did you get in the music business, in your, in your opinion? Yeah, um, we took it there. You know, I think um, a couple highlights from my life, like, when, we were, when I was 22, I got invited to go tour out in Japan. Oh, and, right? Yeah, okay. so, like, we, we took it there. Um, I scored a Bollywood film in India with one of my mentors, mm-hmm. toured with Wiz Khalifa. Oh, that's um, dope. You know, met, had dinner with Nas. Like, I've, I've, I've taken it, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think I realized being an artist, as much as I love to tell my story, mm-hmm. wasn't my strength. My strength was in business. Mm-hmm. It was in knowing how to market the project, how to roll it out, how to use digital and social to leverage, you know, what we had built. Mm-hmm. How to, I was running e-commerce shops when I was uh, in college. We had our own e-commerce with merch. Mm-hmm. I was probably 20, 21 years old. I couldn't even get into the club. You know, like, I, that's how mm-hmm. long I've been doing this. Did you get to graduate school? I, I did. mean, uh, college? Yeah, barely. Cause, barely? Because mm-hmm. at that time, I was... I'm sure it was crazy, yeah. like, running a label and I was trying going to on tour with Wiz on a Wednesday and coming back on a Monday. Yeah, that's and trying to fake it through class, you know, it was really tough for me. And that's one thing I think I regret. I wish I had taken school a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that there's so much access when you're in college, professors, information, the mm-hmm. library, all that. I just wasn't worried about that. Would you ever go back? Um, n- no. Short answer is no. <laughs> um, but I would go back and do a guest lecture. I'll okay, definitely yeah. do like I'll do like a Harvard Business, you oh know, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, that program they have mm-hmm. for the CEOs, Harvard Business yeah, stuff yeah. like that. The thing that Swiss did, mm-hmm. I would do that kind of thing, but I'm not paying to go to school. Now I read up that you know things changed. Something happened during your time running your label that yeah. you had to step back. Can you speak about that? Yeah, man, my life, my life really. I feel like I lived so many lives. So when I was um, when I was like in my early twenties. We were literally traveling the world with music, going mm-hmm. to Japan, going to India, going to Barbados, all around the country, South by Southwest, you know, everything. I was really living and had built this thing, you know, with my own two hands. Mm-hmm. And um, 
But at the same time, I was fighting a kidney condition. So I was born with kidney failure. And I just knew that at some point it was going to catch up with me. I just mm. didn't know when. And so at 24, um, you know, I had a regular doctor's appointment type of thing and, and basically found out that my body was in end-stage kidney failure. Wow. So I had three months before, you know, my kidney shut down. And the kidney is the only organ that you actually need mm-hmm. to, I think it's like the only organ that you can't live without mm. in, in some way. Like you need one full kidney. Like you have half a heart, you can have portions of other mm. organs, but you need a full kidney to live. And I was scheduled to go on tour in India like the week after this doctor's appointment. Wow. And my doctor was like, you need to fall back. You know, mm-hmm. just stay at home, get medication, figure it out. Like, you, you're really sick. And I didn't feel it mm-hmm. because I was moving with such purpose in my life mm-hmm. that I never thought about. So, like, there was, you didn't feel anything? Like, was there things that was different about your body, like, during that time before you went to the doctor and found out you had that? Yeah, so issue? the doctor at that time was like, how have you even been walking for the last year? Most Whoa. people with your condition would be flat. Mm. And I was on tour six months ago. Mm. I was in Japan. You know, like, I, I just had, um, I really believe in, like, purpose being stronger than the physical mm. state, you know, mental. So you think that you probably felt it, but you just ignored it? You just thought it was... I don't think I felt it. I think I think I was, I think I was, um, I think I was given a gift by mm. God to be, like, you stronger than and your circumstances mm-hmm. and eventually I did feel it so long story long I went on tour I was like nah doc I can't do that I'm going on tour mm-hmm. that was my first tour in India and then on tour I got really sick oh, so I okay. was in these five star hotels like I couldn't get out of bed type shit oh shit and okay. um, you know I fought through it and we came home and like two weeks later I went to the hospital and I didn't get out of the hospital for months so like what's going through your mind during that time yeah that's a great question it was a lot of um it was a lot of like negative negative thoughts because i had come so far Mm -hmm. you got a skinny indian kid with no access to the music business and i took it there Mm -hmm. and then i felt like i got you know the carpet pulled out of me i feel like i got shut down you know so there was a lot of like i can't believe this is happening to me you know a lot of a lot of fear because we didn't know what was going to happen you know, mm-hmm. as a family. Um, and at the same time, I think I was prepping myself for what if things never get back to normal again, mm-hmm. you know? Cause I had lived such, I had lived such a life mm-hmm. that that's what I was used to. Um, and yeah, man, I was, I was scared. So speak about, cause I read that your father actually gave you one of his kidneys. So like speak about that uh, situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as immigrant families, you're always really close, you know, mm-hmm. to your parents and, and you have a really strong bond. Obviously, that took it to a whole different level. Um, yeah, my pops is a superhero, man, for real. Uh, my mom is too, because, you know, she's been through a lot, but my pops is really a superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was told by the doctors that he shouldn't do it because oh, really? it was unsafe for him. And he was like, nah, I'm going to take a chance, you know. That's his son. Yeah, but... Looking back on it, um, you know, it's a lot. That's a, it was heavy. How long was recovery? Believe it or not, man, recovery was harder than being sick. I can bet because mental, right? Mentally and physically. Um, basically, uh, one entire 
part side of my body was just numb. I couldn't move it. I couldn't feel it. I Whoa. couldn't walk. It was tough. Um, recovery took me about four or five months. Four or five months. Like you and had to do a lot of like rehab and stuff like that. Like yeah, what man. was that process like? Yeah, you gotta you you gotta learn all your your muscles again and your mm. body again, and you gotta take all this crazy medication mm. because you got a foreign object in your body. Yeah, that's how that's how to, that's how they see it. But um, I think mentally at that time I was just so broken. I was just worn down. You know, mm. what I mean, I was like, damn, I've been fighting this for eight nine months, which when you're 24, eight, nine months is a long time, you know? Now, looking back on it, I got really lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I know people with my condition that didn't make it out or that sure. their lives changed forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I live a very normal life today, mm-hmm. you know? Like, do you think, what's the, po- like, like, what's the positive you've seen that came out of that? Because, you know, at first you said, you know, you had negative thoughts. Yeah. So, like, now when you reflect back on that situation, right? Like, yeah. What's the positive you can take from that situation now? I mean, it changed, it changed the entire way I saw life because mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, a month from now, at any given time, my life could be completely different. Was so, that like a sense of urgency now? Like once sure. you got I out? I always had recovered? that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always had that because I knew this, this thing was happening. Mm-hmm. But now it was different. Yeah, you know? so now you're recovered. So like what's the next move from that moment? I was 25. I had no money in my bank account i had no job i had no um real career outside of like being a musician Mm -hmm. and a and a a business person Mm -hmm. so you can imagine that that's a stressful position to be in you know and uh it's been seven years since that and in that time you know i've built two you know seven figure businesses i own seven figures worth of real estate you know like Seven years is not a long time. So when I talk about sense of urgency, mm-hmm. I really flipped the switch. And I think the switch that flipped for me, too, was like seeing what my parents sacrificed during that time for me to, you know, be OK. I was like, OK. So like, what was like the first move? Like, all right, you're 25. Yeah. You recovered. Like what's what you had your eye on first? Yeah. The first move probably wasn't wasn't the right move, but I went back to music. OK couldn't get away from it you know Mm -hmm. I felt like I had I have more of this story to tell now Mm -hmm. you know and so I went back to music and um I spent about two years trying to trying to get that that magic back you know where I was before it Mm -hmm. and we and we took it you know we took it there we had a um we had a premiere on MTV Mm -hmm. you know we we went to Rock Nation we had a couple opportunities like we took it there but it wasn't the same you know the game had changed between when I was 23, 24, if we sold one album on iTunes, we would make like $6.87 from that sale, mm-hmm. right? After I came out, people weren't buying music anymore, yep. right? I said came out as if I did a bid. But after, you know, after I got <laughs> healthy, um, the game had changed. Mm-hmm. And technology and streaming and all that were playing a much bigger role. Yeah. And... Because, like, what year was that when you yeah, went back... Into uh, the music. 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are different. Right? Completely so different now. We, we came up in the era of blogs. Two Dope Boys, Not Right, you know, mm-hmm. getting our mixtape on there, mm-hmm. going crazy, getting downloads, being booking shows, and running the business that way. Yeah. 2014, 2015, the game's different. So, like, is it, do you think it became more difficult for you, or you just was starting to lose, like, 
there was something you was missing now? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it definitely became more difficult. A lot of the relationships had changed, right? The people that you know at these places move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the music that we were making wasn't relevant to the time necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like we were making uh, what we called like like updated boom bap. Like okay. it was like Tribe Call Quest meets you know, little brother, like it was, it was, a that shit will work now. Now that you right. see Benny well, and all yeah, them here. Right. Now. Right. But, sure. but that era was very much like we were moving away from that. It was mm-hmm. more street music. Um, and, and we just didn't have the knowledge of what was relevant. So mm-hmm. long story short, um, I could feel that the, the, it was just harder to get traction mm-hmm. at the same time. I'm going through it with my business partners, with my label mates, you know, with the people I work with, because, I got this crazy sense of urgency mm-hmm. and I don't feel like they're taking it as seriously. That's my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, damn, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know? And I still remember this one night, man, we were on tour with, uh, with the artist that is actually pretty well known, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> because he was a nightmare, but we were on tour and I was in Newark, New Jersey mm-hmm. in the middle of the, it was like November and it had just started snowing I had this three series that was like always gave me problems. Um, so I'm like, oh, here we go. And I packed my whole teams and, you know, it's tiny ass three series. We're driving around and I was on, I was at the venue mm-hmm. and I think we were supposed to make like $75 from the show for just for like gas and whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I wasn't even tripping, but I knew like my, my people needed it. Like they needed to eat mm-hmm. and put gas in a whip and go home that night. And the promoter was like stiffing me for $75. Oh, and I was like, I think I was 27. And I'm like, is this going to be my life? Mm-hmm. You know, am I really going to fight for $75 in the middle of Newark, New Jersey in the <laughs> winter? You know, like, and I had Damn. something flip for me where I was like, yo, you, you, you more than mm-hmm. this. You could do more than this. Um, and you're not using your talent and your skills the right way. So... At that time, a switch flipped and I started to move away from music and get more into what I had been doing the whole time, but I made it into a, just, I took it in a different direction, which was creative marketing, digital marketing, building brands. So you felt like all the skills that you done built over doing the music thing, now it was transferring into another business. 100%. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to like share with everybody is like, Sometimes when you're going through something and you're learning a world that maybe doesn't work out for you, mm-hmm. or maybe you got to really pivot and switch, don't forget the skills that you learned from that period, because mm-hmm. those are still really valuable to inform your perspective. Right. So what happened is when I started, so my brother and I started a creative agency around that time, and mm-hmm. we didn't know what we were doing, but we were going for it. And I was taking the same way that I was thinking in the music business and mm-hmm. applying it to marketing and branding for early stage businesses. Mm -hmm. And that was in its own way radical because people weren't thinking the way I was because I had a complete different set of like environment that I had been working in, but it really paid off. And that's one thing that I'm grateful for is like, I never was like, ah, my music business experience is useless. Mm -hmm. I was like, nah, let me see how I can apply it to a new world. Mm -hmm. So what was the first step? When it comes to this marketing agency. The first step was paying my mortgage. Nah, the first step was, um, <laughs> yeah, my brother, he moved, so he moves to New York and, and we just, 
we're on Craigslist, we're on job boards, just trying to find clients. Mm -hmm. Who needs what we do, right? We were doing, um, at that time, it was like search marketing and, and, and paid social marketing and uh, website development. It was just real basic stuff, like what can we do? I remember we got our first client. It was like 800 bucks a month. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's lit. Like, we making money from, from our own, uh, mm. you know, from this own little agency. And Were you guys doing, like, the creative and the marketing for it? Or? Yeah, we were getting into a little cool. bit of that. And, and basically, one thing led to the next, man. We just kept plugging, kept getting a little bit bigger clients, kept getting, you know, introduced like if you to could somebody. Name, if it's all right to name or if you can't, yeah. is there any, like, brands that you can name that yeah. were your clients? There's two of them that changed our lives, really, and, and gave yeah. us the credibility. Um, the first one was a company called Juice Press, which oh, is oh, yeah, lo you know, local in New York. Yeah. Uh, so one of my homies from the music game was actually um, working over there. What? And he was like, yo, I can make an intro to the CEO, but you got to kill the pitch. You got to do your thing. Yeah, that just, like, proves just, like, how much relationships matter, you know, like. 100%. Yeah, so that was a client, and then the second thing was uh, we did Hillary Clinton's 2016 Asian American Outreach. Whoa, whoa. How, yeah. you, how did that happen? Man, again, <laughs> one of my homies from the music business was mm -hmm. like, yo, I went to dinner with this dude. He, he runs a super PAC. He's in politics. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do with it, but I'm going to it to you. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, man, shout out to Ash. And, and to this day, you know, I, I still joke about that with him, but... We took that and we we bodied it, you know. <laughs> um, simply put, we bodied it. I remember um, I was in Germany for another client, so I had to I had to spend like four days in Germany, mm. and because I was working on this project, and they had put me in this crazy ass hotel mm. that had like the Wi-Fi expired every sixty minutes, what? so you had to go down to the lobby mm. and be like, "Yo, I need a new Wi-Fi code." Damn. And the whole time there, I'm working on all this stuff for Hillary Clinton, designing the assets, coming up with the copy, building out the campaign. Um, eventually, the video that we did went, went crazy viral, and we actually like were able to provide a lot of value to this organization. But I still remember, man, I was in Germany with barely any Wi-Fi, like, mm. like four in the morning because the times were all off, and I was just you know plugging mm. and. Um, I don't think I told that story before, but anyway, so yeah, <laughs> I put that campaign together, you know, our whole team, you know, mm -hmm. stepped up. It was me and my brother. We had like one or two more people mm -hmm. and then, yeah, we made an impact, man. So like once that happens, right, like what is like business like at that moment for your age, like for your marketing agency at that moment? Yeah. I mean, that I think was a, a, a game shifting time for us because, you know, these people from the super PAC were like, hey. We love what you're doing, but we need we need to do more. Mm -hmm. We're about to wire you sixty thousand dollars today. Can you guys handle it? Like to run ads and build things and and I'm over here like sixty thousand dollars, you don't what? <laughs> you know, like I had never we just I'd never seen that type of money. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and never knew that that type of thing existed. So like sixty thousand, so like it wasn't all for us, it was mm -hmm. for advertising, but what it did was it it opened my mind as to what's possible, what's possible when yeah. you know how to put culture content and creative together mm -hmm. you know and that's what we started doing as an agency you said you built this to is this a seven figure business also now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like is it just mainly just off of that uh, that you guys are making your revenue from 
Well, we we had a lot of different iterations of this business. So, mm-hmm. you know, what happened was the the entire market changed after the election, yeah. right? Because Facebook starts restricting its its algorithm and the way that brands and you know people are advertising on it completely changed. Mm-hmm. So we realized that look, if you're running ads for somebody, that doesn't make you unique in any way. Anybody could do that. Anybody can learn how to run the ads and and um, figure out what works on that platform. What was unique for us was our ability to know what's happening in culture mm-hmm. and create campaigns that really spoke. Do you think to that's that. a struggle that a lot of brands are having? One hundred percent, and and they have it because they don't come from the culture and they don't take their time to learn the so culture. So like that's like the main advantage then basically for a marketing agency is yeah. to understand culture. Yeah, that's dope, man. Yeah, like, that that's my tagline: is your culture is your advantage. Whatever your culture is, whether you, you know, Jamaican culture, whether it's Asian culture, whether it's African culture, mm-hmm. wherever you come from, finding the unique perspective that is baked into your DNA and how you grew up and, and what you know, if you take that to the business world, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunities to sell that to people who don't understand it, mm-hmm. but want to have access to the people that you have access to, mm-hmm. you know? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So when does real estate come into play in this whole situation? Man, I haven't, I haven't slept all quarantine because of real estate. So I'm like <laughs> um, in PTSD mode right now. So, you know, post my surgery, mm-hmm. you know, I'm realizing that my parents, you know, they, they just they did so much for me. I'm like, yo, how can I pay it back? Probably never because I don't got a kidney to give back. But, you know, how can I pay my parents back for what they did? And I came up with this this crazy left field idea. I was like, yo, what if I earn enough money to retire them in, you know, three or five years mm-hmm. and just make sure that they're good and they don't yeah. got to worry about, you know, bread? And I was like, how do you do that? How do you earn money passively? to be able to to build something that can give back to your family or the next generation. And, you know, I racked my brain and I ended up on real estate. Um, mm. And to me, real estate is a really unique asset class because it allows you to put down a portion of money to own an entire asset. So when you buy real estate, you put down 20% or 15 or 25% to own 100% of the asset to own 100% of the income from that asset, okay. right? So what I mean is like if I buy a home with 20% down mm-hmm. and I start collecting rents on that building, I collect 100% of the rents, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the bank still has a mortgage on that, I don't got to pay the bank the rents that come. You know, I'm, I'm free to do that. I'm free to do with that what I want. Mm-hmm. If I go buy a stock today, I can't buy 20% of Tesla <laughs> and say, hey, let me get 100% of the dividends mm-hmm. or let me get 100% of the run-up. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So real estate was a really unique asset class that allowed me to leverage the cash that I had and also create short-term income in terms of rents and, and um, that cash flow and create long-term appreciation mm-hmm. where my buildings are becoming more valuable over time. And I couldn't find any other wealth engine that did those two things. Mm-hmm. And that's how I really got into it. Because like, when, when a lot of people that I know, when we think about real estate, and, you know, we all want to get into it, but we just, like, I guess the knowledge of, like, knowing what to do, you know what I'm saying? Like, even you saying, like, yo, you got to have 20% and then you can get you can get the rest, you right. know what I'm saying? So 
That's really dope. So, like, what was your next move? Like, your first, like, thing that you invested in first? Yeah, which I, I don't recommend people doing. But I bought a condo first. Uh, and I bought a condo for myself to live in. But what that allowed me to do was, like, go through the process. So, it was, it was a bad investment, but it was a really good education. What made it a bad investment to you, though? When you buy a condo or you buy your own residence, mm-hmm. you don't make any money off of that. Oh, yeah, because you live in it. And you got to pay money to live in it, right? Mm-hmm. Versus when you buy a multifamily home, you could even live in one of those units and have your tenants pay the rest of the, that money. Mm-hmm. So technically, they're paying your mortgage for you to live in that home for free. But when you buy your own condo, you buy your own house, that mortgage is a liability. Mm-hmm. The house is the asset, but the mortgage is a liability, yeah. right? So if I, had, if I had to do it again, I would have just bought That's a, a smart way to put a it. multi, yeah. The mortgage is a liability, not the house. Correct. Yeah, that's dope. Now, you know, I made a really good play with the condo I bought. It ended up going up crazy in value, and, and it's almost doubled in the time I bought it. So, mm-hmm. like, that's really Was it big. in New York? It's in Jersey City. In Jersey. Yeah. Are so. you invested in, like, in the city also? I have, I have all my uh, investments are in Jersey City, in Newark, and in Philadelphia. Okay. So I, I, I invest know, in secondary markets. I know the real estate market here is crazy. Yeah. Like living in New York is ridiculous. Bro. Yeah. Like, the cost to live here is, this is for rich people, it feels like, you know? like It is. And what happened with New York is New York real estate became so valuable because yeah. it was a hedge against the rest of the market. Yeah. And what that means is like, it don't matter if the market is, is tanking or there's massive global unrest. Mm-hmm. New York real estate is going to be stable. Mm-hmm. Even if it returns lower than average in terms of like the ROI on it, yeah. it's still stable. So when you have people, multimillionaires, who want to park their money in a stable asset class, mm-hmm. they all came to New York, which drove everybody else out. So for me, I was like, I don't want to compete in a market like New York because, A, I don't got the funds to compete. And B, the returns aren't even like that. Mm-hmm. Versus you go down two hours, you go down to Philly, there's money to be made. You can play. And and more importantly, there's a blank canvas for you to do what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in New York, I gotta I gotta play into neighborhoods and, and uh, areas that are already shaped, mm-hmm. right? Brooklyn, you know what you're gonna get in all these different neighborhoods. In Philadelphia, my partners and I are actually buying up multiple assets and buildings in one neighborhood and transforming the entire area mm-hmm. by introducing. So, like, are you guys buying, like, the land also? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're buying land, we're buying buildings, we're turning them into community spaces, art galleries, um, running education programs, neighborhood cleanups, and really taking a holistic approach to that space and being able to create it into something that we feel like is going to benefit the community mm-hmm. instead of just coming in and, you know, having to play by the set of rules that that city has already created. So, like, you said your first investment was in the condo. So, like, what was, like, your first real investment, like, now that you learned and made that mistake, yeah. that was, like, either profitable or still is, like, you know, bringing in cash flow today? Yeah, I, I bought a um, multifamily home, like, 10 minutes away from where I was living. How, if you don't mind me asking, like, how much, like, I want the Yeah, let's go to the math. Yeah, I, like, I don't how I don't much. Mind did you put in to get this done? Yeah, so the first deal I ever did was a a rehab project. So I bought a building that was, to me, it was located one block from the train. Mm -hmm. It was located near a bunch of new coffee shops and stuff. So it had a ton of potential in terms of the neighborhood that I was investing in. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't popular yet. Yeah. So I was like, cool, let's get it. There's value, right? 
So I bought a two-family building for 190000 And I did the math with my contractor and realized that it would take me 70000 to renovate the whole thing. New electricity, new plumbing, mm-hmm. um, new drywall, new floors, everything. And as got the entire and building. as you're doing this, you still have your marketing company, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing that was happening on marketing is that we were generating a ton of cash. Mm-hmm. And I just had a ton of cash sitting in an account. And I was like, that's not a good way to invest. Right. Mm-hmm. So back to the, back to the example. So I bought a two family building for 190,000. I put down 20% on a mortgage. I put in $70,000 of my own money to renovate it because I didn't have the experience mm-hmm. to go get a bank or, a, or a, a construction lender or borrow it from my uncle. Cause I don't have, you know, that person in my life. So I was like, I got to put this up myself. Mm-hmm. So 190 plus 70, I was all in for 260. And the value of the home, after I had done all the renovations, I had calculated it based on what the other properties in the neighborhood were coming in at. Mm -hmm. And so when the bank came to inspect it, I knew I was going to get a certain range, right? Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting 340,000. Dope. So 260, 340, there there was an automatic spread, right? In in terms of how much value I created. Mm -hmm. Instead of selling that house, which I could have done and made, you know, whatever, about 80000 I decided to refinance that house, which means I got a mortgage on the new amount of 340000 and I paid off my old mortgage of 190000 Smart. But I still had 35000 left over. Mm-hmm. And that money the bank gives you in a check. Wow. So I remember looking at, um, I remember looking at a check for 105000 because I had spent, so I had to pay myself back for the 70 grand that I had spent. Mm-hmm. And I still had 35K. And I was like, oh, I understand how to make money in real estate now. Mm-hmm. I took that 35K and I went and bought another house. Mm-hmm. And then kept doing that. And today, um, my portfolio is like about 30 units, 30, 30 doors. Units. Yeah. Hold across. on, is that seven figures also now? Is um, the, the market value? The yeah, value of it. Yeah, the market value figures. is well up there. Yeah. And that's dope. So. so What's been like, how, I know there's been a lot of mistakes. So how much have you lost yeah. invested in real estate? <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't lost, I haven't lost any money in real estate. I've been, I've been uh, very disciplined because I don't flip, you know, I don't do anything speculative. That would have been my type of shit. Yeah, I would have been flipping everything. That, that's where you get, you know, you get hemmed up because you mm. just never know what to expect with the market and, and buyers and sellers. What I do is I invest in long-term multifamily residential housing, mm-hmm. which is always going to be around. Even if we're in a recession, which we're in now, you know, I got tenants who are not paying rent on time, mm-hmm. but the asset that I own is still valuable. You know, I just bought um, a multifamily for uh, 275K mm-hmm. and I fixed it up and the bank came and I got it appraised for 410000 So I created, you know, whatever, a hundred plus thousand of value. 150,000 of value just in this rehab process. So I don't need to flip. I like to hold and, and build that wealth and build that portfolio over time. Yeah, because like there's a lot of patients that come into it and you got the long-term vision for it, so you don't mind just, just letting it grow over time, right? On the flip side, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of cash coming in from real estate because all I have is my rents, right? Mm-hmm. Versus if you flip, if I had done a flip on some of these properties, you know, I probably would have been up two hundred, three hundred thousand mm-hmm. in cash. 
right before taxes so that's a very different approach mm-hmm. so you could either be like yo i want to make those 200 bands and i'm gonna do something with that mm-hmm. or you can say i'm cool with making 15 grand a year from my from my tenants in profit but i'm growing the value of my property so like there's somebody that really wanted to get into real estate right like how much you think do somebody really needs to get into the real estate business? Yeah, I think if you want to buy smart multifamily housing in a secondary market, you should probably have between thirty to fifty thousand in cash, in cash. liquid. Okay. And look, you can go buy a a, a bando in Philly for ten thousand mm-hmm. and fix it up. No one's gonna buy it though, right? <laughs> There's no one on the other side of that transaction because you're buying a home in an area that's just not. Mm-hmm. coveted or that's not in demand so the actual act of buying real estate is it's not always about how much bread you need but it's about what type of play are you making mm-hmm. you know um and and but if you want to do i just from my experience every deal i do i gotta bring at least 30 to 50 to the bank uh to the to the table okay so then you get into the restaurant tell me about that yeah um so anything i speak on the restaurant is is in conjunction with my brother, who's the head chef, he's the he's the person that brought that vision to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I handle the business, the marketing, the brand. You know, that's my world. But hey, I see you to, pushing heavy on Instagram. Yeah, with that, when so it comes to you. anything with you know restaurants, I can't I can't speak on it without my brother. Um, but since you said the business side, like cause that would made me interested. Also, is like what was the process of like getting the space? Yeah. And like, how much did it cost? Like, I really want to know those type of things. Yeah. So the restaurant came from my brother and I are working in the agency world. Right. And every day we're doing work for clients and, and we're seeing how these things are trending and moving. And we're giving clients advice like, yo, you should do X, Y and Z. You should invest mm-hmm. in culture and community and in people. And they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. They're listening, but they're not doing it. And we're like, instead of giving the advice and the game away, why don't we just apply it to something that we own? And so that the restaurant was incubated within the agency. And we came up with the idea and the brand and, and the whole message based on the work that we were already doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we signed a lease in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, we built the space out for six months. So between March and September, we had to build the entire space out. Mm-hmm. And we launched uh, September 18th, 2019 to a line of 750 plus people in the east village so um it was like a dream you know come true in terms of the math man i mean you know commercial real estate in new york is not cheap um what we tried to do is always make sure that our rent plus the cost of goods or cogs plus salaries was nowhere more than 45 to 50 percent of our revenue because like is it like the same way like did you guys approach it like the real estate way of Hold on, excuse me. No, you're good. Do you guys approach it like the real estate way of like you got to have a certain amount? Is it the same way of like trying to get it? Could you guys own the land or you guys are renting? So we're renting the space. What we did was we okay. built out what the total project was going to cost, mm-hmm. meaning like how much was it going to cost to secure a lease? How much would it cost to build the place out? Mm-hmm. And how much would it cost to have three months of supplies and labor? And then what we did after that was we went and raised the money. Oh, okay. So this was my first time raising money. Was it like outside investors or did you guys do like uh, crowdfunding? Yeah, it was outside investors. Okay, so okay. 
So what we did was we put up about 30% of the 40% of the money ourselves just so that people knew that we were serious and mm-hmm. we you know, were willing to put our own money up. And I think that's the biggest difference between me and a lot of people that you come across on the internet or just that, that are entrepreneurs. A lot of these people don't put their own money up. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, you know, there's a rule where it's like other people's money. But the thing about the way I've done it is I always put my own money into the game. Like why? Like I like I like that concept of like yeah. putting up your own bread. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I love that concept. But you know, I remember like in like a lot of old business books, they always talk about using other people's money, like rich dad, poor dad. Talk right. about that a lot. Yeah. But like, what makes you want to like use your money instead of others? It's really hard to own something if you're using other people's money. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in the era of Rockefeller and Hold yep. Dame, and, and they put their own money up mm-hmm. until they got to a point where they could partner with people that could elevate. You feel like you have more control now, Well, right? you do have more control, mm-hmm. you know, and you do have more ownership. So for me, those two things are always more important than making the cash. And, mm-hmm. you know, my friend Julian came on here and spoke about the same thing, is if you don't own the asset, your ability to, to monetize that asset over time is diminished, yeah, right? So sure. if I had, let's just say, for example, if, if for the restaurant, say we raise money on an equity basis and I gave away 40, 50% of, of the equity, five years from now when a VC comes by and says, hey, we want to invest $2 million into this company because we believe that you, know, you guys have e-commerce, you have retail, you have culture, content, that $2 million, I got to now split with my investors and they didn't even do none of the work mm-hmm. to get me to that point, right? I did that off of off of our own ingenuity and our create mm-hmm. you know creative process. So to me, um, I'm willing to take a risk and bet on myself, my own abilities, and put my own money up. That's right. And use other people's money where I need to. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to clarify: um, a lot of real estate deals I do are with other people's money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my sweat equity and it's other people's money. But I've done my own deals for five years now where I got money in the game, so I feel comfortable taking that on. Mm-hmm. And in those deals, I do give up equity, right? But real estate and, and, and building businesses are, are two different two different mm-hmm. things. But, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with OPM. I just <laughs> I prefer to own what I do. Mm-hmm. So COVID hits. What's, what's business like at that <laughs> What's business like at that moment? So... I, uh, I manage an artist, a really talented guy named Anik Khan. And What's his name? Anik Khan. Mm-hmm. For the last 12 months, all of 2019, we spent planning for 2020. Mm-hmm. So we, we recorded music, we signed certain deals, hired certain people, built a team, felt really good about 2020. Mm-hmm. We drop a single in February, we go on tour. The first two months of 2020 are like a dream to me. Everything is going the right way. We on tour with an artist named Sango. It's at the end of Feb. So our last show was in Atlanta on like the 27th or 28th of February. Mm-hmm. I went to Miami for two days after to just chill out. And then I got back to New York like March 3rd. Yeah. My life is going exactly how we planned. Like we about to put this new single out. Um, a couple of my real estate deals went really well. I was like, all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Two days later, shit get different, bro. Shut down. So, how has COVID been? Is a very difficult thing for me to think about because it's really been it turned my entire life upside down. Mm-hmm. When they said the restaurants had to close on March fifteenth, uh, mm-hmm. 
I was like, what? We, we had only been in business for six months. Exactly. So it's not like we had even, you know, been around long. And it was the winter, which is always slow. Yep. So I was like, how, how, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And uh, every day since March has been putting them gloves on, you know, and it going It seems like war. it's been like COVID has now shown that branding matters a lot now. I love that you said that. You know, yeah. like, because I see, like, you're creating more content for that, for your restaurant. And you guys are creating different types of, like, content and engaging fans and supporters of the business. You guys are taking pictures of people outside eating. So speak about that. Like, what has that strategy been building, like, building the branding side? Like, when, because the sales, I'm sure sales slow down. But, like, what has that been like building the brand of it? Yeah. So my two cents for anybody starting any type of business any small business, particularly in the restaurant space, invest in brand. That is your differentiator when it comes to everybody else in the market. Mm -hmm. And invest in technology as a second piece. Uh, When we built the restaurant, you know, back when we raised money, we had to raise a little bit more than we wanted because our branding just was like really expensive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say the number out of respect for everybody involved, but... Mm -hmm. It was way more than most restaurants, but that's how much we believed in, hey, if we built this brand right, that's going to be our moat, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be how we differentiate ourselves from everybody else. When COVID hit, when that thing fell through, right, we had spent so much time investing in brand and community. I was like, all right, let's see what happens now. Mm-hmm. And bro, I kid you not, man, in those last two weeks of March, our community stepped up and bought so many gift cards mm-hmm. that our rent was going to be paid for April and May regardless. Fire. Because they had been like so invested in the brand and they mm-hmm. had really, and we had invested back into the community, right? Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things with local artists. We do a lot of things with um, culture in a, in a smart way. Like we tell stories, like, you know, it's a two-way street, like, but. I know like the stresses of like running a restaurant and having a physical location, but like speak a little bit about like how like dope it is to have like a physical space and have a way to like connect with people yeah. like on a, in a physical level, like speak about that a little bit. I love that question, man. Cause you're spot on and, and that's why we did it. I mean, imagine growing up, right. I, you know, I grew up as a Brown kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. That reflects the values of how we came up. Mm-hmm. We're not always just chicken tikka masala and whatever you see at the at the Indian spot. Yeah, we're a reflection of all the things that we grew up with in this country, especially you our know? generation. For yeah, sure. and and nobody has created a space that reflects that in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. And so, to answer your question, if it's probably one of the the best feelings I've had in the last couple of years. It looks like you guys are having fun when I see it on Instagram and just see you guys like interacting with like the customers and stuff. It just looked like you guys are having fun. I mean, imagine being able to build a space where you get to to do what you want, play Mm -hmm. the music that you want, you know, have have the meet and greets that you Mm -hmm. want, serve the food you want. That's that connection, that human connection, that space goes a long way. So yeah, man, it's been, I think... It's been a, a transformative experience for everybody on my team. So, like, since we've been opened back up, like, how has the restaurant been running now? Is it- yeah, so we, we did something in April or yeah, that changed the entire business, which was we pivoted a lot to e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So we created an entire new revenue channel by selling 
the the chai that we sell in the store um we we ended up packaging it and selling it to people mm-hmm. so when we look at that revenue channel being a completely new channel and along with the physical retail, mm-hmm. um, our business is actually up pre-COVID, okay. which I don't tell a lot of people because they're going to think like, you know, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing well. It's not <laughs> doing well. I still got to pay investors and I still got to pay mm-hmm. debt. But our business has thrived through this time because of our ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. So your personal brand, I just want to, that's a few more questions that we can get out of here. No, but- we good. Like with your personal brand, like what's your goal with that right now? Like what's been going on with your personal brand? Cause you know, personal brand now is important for everybody I see now, you know, even I'm now starting to realize like, oh, this content that I have, like as much like it's not getting, it's not as big right now, but me owning it and just continuing to put out more content, I'm really building real estate for myself when it comes to the content part, right? So what's like, what has that been like for you when it comes to the personal brand? Like, what's your opinion about personal brands at this moment now? Yeah, yeah, great, great, great question. I think personal brands are going to redefine how people engage with companies in the future. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you have a strong personal brand and you own companies, mm-hmm. you build an ecosystem that's really powerful. People start to know that, hey, this guy's credible. Therefore, the other things that he does, the other businesses that he's involved in, they have to be credible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I trust this guy. Therefore, I trust these other things. I'm open to it. Um, and that's what I've done. You know, I uh, instead of focusing on building a personal brand where I could do influencer content and get paid from brands, mm-hmm. I built a personal brand so I could direct people to the other brands that I own. And create revenue. It's funny that you say that, right? Because I interviewed Zach Greenberg, the senior editor of Forbes, and he has a book called A List Angels. Mm -hmm. And he was basically talking about like how like Dan Marino and Ashton Kutcher they're using their influence, their personal brand to get into the doors of these like these big companies in Silicon Valley, you know, using that as leverage. Like even like a nobody that is in business with Dan Marino, when that person brings up Dan Marino's name in a meeting they're more than likely want to do the meeting because yeah. Dan Marino has built that brand. Yeah. So it just showed me just like how important a personal brand is. Or even like when you see Gary Vee, I'm sure, you know, he's great at what he's doing, but that personal brand now makes him so popular that he can get into rooms and other places that he probably would have never been able to right. if he didn't have that name, you know? So 100%. Yeah. And I think they're, I think they are, something that you have to really treasure and make sure that you do right by, you know, mm-hmm. with your personal brand. So my, my own goal um, is just to be an educator mm-hmm. and to be somebody that is an example of what happens when you do it your own way, when you take the risks, mm-hmm. when you bet on yourself, and also show people exactly how you do it. You know, mm-hmm. somebody, I remember some kid like DM me like two, three years ago, I still think about this. He was like, you giving us a front row seat to entrepreneurship and building a business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's dope. Mm-hmm. You know, like that sure. meant a lot to me because that's exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and what I, you feel about like, like your opinion, how do you build a personal brand in your opinion? Cause you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, they're writing a lot of motivating stuff and they haven't really did anything, you know, like I know for me personally, like if I'm not talking about flipping, which is what I know, I know how to do that. And just, I know how to turn 50 cents get me a mug and flip it for $85 on right. eBay. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that's my game before. 
you know, but like now I'm into these new things and once I dominate podcasting, then I can talk about that. So like, what's your opinion? Like, should you, cause basically you're documenting your process of building stuff, right? So there's basically two ways to build a personal brand in your opinion, correct? Yeah, there's a couple of ways, but yeah, there's there's one way that I think is the way to do it. And like, yeah, speak about that. Like, what's, yeah. what you think is your way? I think the the key is you have to show and not tell. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be really humble in your approach and just do work. Mm-hmm. Your work shouldn't be focused on building your personal brand. The work should be focused on whatever business you're running. And you're documenting it. Right. And through documenting that, you're going to show people like this stuff is really going down. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I didn't work with Hillary Clinton because I was an influencer. You know, I probably had like 3,000 followers at that time. Mm-hmm. I worked with Hillary Clinton because I was nice at what I do. And as a result, I was able to build cachet off that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't do real estate so I could sell real estate seminars <laughs> to people, you know, mm-hmm. for $150. I do real estate because I want to build wealth for my family. So I think when you have an authentic uh, approach to what you're doing and you're really building a business mm-hmm. that's what's going to create a stronger personal brand i think the second thing is you got to have a really unique perspective on it because the hustle culture and, and hustle porn and all that's played out mm-hmm. you know like you know sleep when i die all that whole <laughs> that whole thing is played out you mm-hmm. know and and now it's really about like what are you what are you doing for your community like you making money that's great but what are you doing for the people around you to like, help. What do you represent? Yeah, what do you yeah. stand for? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your values? And, and if you're getting money, that's great, but what are the people around you? How, are they getting money too? Mm-hmm. Are you teaching other people how to get money? You know, I think those things are, um, those things are central to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is an authentic reflection of my life mm-hmm. and teach other people how to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I personally, yo, if I had been more on the personal brand Instagram thing like two, three years ago, four years ago, I probably would have been way up there in terms of like, you know, a person online. I just I was focused on building my business, as you should, you know, and and uh, I don't know if that's something I regret or not, but I just I had a different approach. I don't to know, it. but I know I appreciate you guys like you, John, Julian, like when you guys are just especially you and John. When you guys are showing the process of you guys trying to build these things and making your mistakes, I know it inspires me to just know, like, yo, this shit is real. You know what I'm saying? Instead of, like, the other way, I'll right. just say, you know. But right. my last question is, like, what's your plan for the rest of this year? <laughs> we got, like, five months left. Yeah. The crazy thing is we still got a lot of time this year. Yeah. You know? And I, I think the, my plan for the rest of this year is a couple things. Um, I want to find a little bit of peace of mind for myself. You know, when yeah. in, in in the things I do, and you seem like you're a real busy person. Bro. Yeah, like, it's, we've been, it's we've been trying to do this for like two weeks now. Yeah, so. two weeks yeah. is good for me too. Usually, <laughs> I'm like, y'all, it's two months. Um, <laughs> I want to find a little bit of peace of mind. I want to stabilize the businesses that I have that are all over the place right now. Real mm-hmm. estate, music, restaurant. I really want to find um, an expectation of what these next twelve months are going to be like, mm-hmm. and that way I can build around that. Right, and um. I want to create more content around the things that I'm doing, you know, because I'm so used to, you know, having a, a videographer and we just go out and document what I do every day. Now it's not like that. You know, now I'm in the house more or I'm alone more and I just got to find a, a cadence for creating my own content. So that's where I'm focused on this year. Um, yeah. And just and surviving, man. <laughs> Survival is the number one objective of my life, you know, so. 
Definitely. I'm glad you said that. Survival, people. <laughs> you know, but um, where could people find you? Yeah, I'm easy to find. Uh, it's Ani Hustles across everything. A-N-I-H-U-S-T-L-E-S. Twitter, Instagram, all, right. all that. I appreciate you coming, Thank man. you, Trey. I truly do appreciate it, man. Likewise. I truly do. Like, I respect what you're doing. I I wish you the best of luck with everything you got going on, guys. We signing out. Follow me on Instagram at TraderGray underscore on Twitter at I am Trader Gray and follow my YouTube page at Trader Gray so you can get the video interview. So peace out, guys.